Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. We stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle. And, and even as I say that, what I realize is that that's kind of an abrupt way to start a sermon. Maybe even shocking. But what I want to suggest to you today, whether you are joining us online or in person, whether you've been attending church your whole life or whether this is your first time ever, when I say that we stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle, it's kind of shocking, but it's not really surprising. I think deep down inside, we get it. That actually makes sense to us. It's the reason why this world that we live in is not a playground as much as it is a battleground. It's the reason why life is difficult. It's the reason why we look around our world and we see things like hatred and violence and war and racism. It's the reason why anxiety exists, depression exists, insecurity exists, jealousy exists. We stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle. It's the reason why sometimes it feels like your best in best of intentions don't result in a change of direction. Like the things you really want to do, you don't do. The things you don't really want to do, you keep doing. We stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle. Maybe it's as simple as this. You've stepped into a situation before. You've stepped into a place or a circumstance before. And something about it just seems off. Something about it just doesn't seem right. We stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle. You might be looking at me right now going, yeah, but Mike, what about Jesus, right? Like, Jesus is the son of God. He stepped into human history. He lived, died, rose again. He defeated the devil. He won the war. So what is going on? Well, maybe the best illustration I could give you today is from the sport of hockey. Don't know why I feel like talking about hockey today, but I do. I really really do. So let's just imagine that you're watching a hockey game. And one team is ahead by, let's say 5 nothing. okay? Just off the top of my head. <laughs> one of the things you know for sure is at 5 nothing late in the game, carnage is about to ensue, correct? The team that's losing is going to exact carnage and chaos on the team that is winning. Some people say they want to send a message. Now, it just hit me that many of you are watching this sermon online outside of Canada. And so I should probably explain a little bit about the sport of hockey to you. Heard one person say, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. That, that says it pretty well. Hockey is kind of crazy but we kind of like it because we're crazy. We're Canadians, okay? So, so you know for sure it's 5 nothing late. That team that's losing, they're going to high stick. They're going to cross check. They're going to slash. They're going to get into fights. They want to send a message. What I want to suggest to you is something very similar is happening in this spiritual battle that we stand in the middle of. The devil has been defeated. And yet he is still going to enact chaos and carnage. He wants to send a message. See, because he can't touch God. He can't hurt God. But he knows how much God loves you. So he's going to come after you. We stand in the middle of a great spiritual battle. 
And that's why on this journey that we're taking through the Gospel of John, I felt like we were supposed to take a five-week pause and just talk about spiritual warfare. In week one, I talked about the fact that you will win your war with God's help. You will win your war. You will win your war. Last week, we talked about the fact that when you know your enemy, you will win your war. Well, over these next three weeks, I want to talk about open doors and defeated lives. Open doors and defeated lives. And I kind of want to start the discussion for this next three weeks with a passage of scripture that maybe if you grew up going to church, you might have heard it before, but I don't know if you really leaned into it from the direction that I want to lean into it today. So let me set the stage a little bit. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's about to begin the journey to the cross. And he sits down with his disciples for one last supper. In fact, it's come to be known as the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus prepares his disciples for what is about to happen. And one of the things he says is he says, you need to be ready. Because when I'm arrested, you're all going to scatter. A really interesting moment happens after Jesus says that. One of his disciples, a man named Simon Peter, he wasn't just one of the 12 disciples, in fact, he was one of Jesus' like inner circle of three, James and John and Simon Peter. In fact, some people say that Simon Peter was like the leader of the 12 disciples. So Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested, you need to prepare yourself, you're all going to scatter, and Simon Peter bumps Jesus and says, you don't mean me, right? Like, these losers might scatter. These bunch of wingnuts might not have guts, but you must not be talking about me because I'm not going anywhere. Jesus responds in Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Open doors and defeated lives. Did you see it? There's an open door in Peter's life. The enemy of your soul, the author of destruction and defeat, is looking for an open door into your life. Open doors and defeated lives. Ephesians 4 says it this way, don't give the devil a way to defeat you. In other words, you can give the devil a way to defeat you. Open doors and defeated lives. 1 John 2 says it this way, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So what I want to do is I want to talk over these next three weeks about open doors and defeated lives. Next week, I want to talk to you about the open doors known as the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Two weeks from today, I want to talk to you about doors that may have been opened in your life, but not by you. Words that were spoken over you that never should have been said. Things that happened to you, abuse, neglect, actions that were occurring that never, ever should have occurred. Open doors that were open in your life, but not by you. I wanna show you two weeks from today how you can close them. But today, I'm gonna to talk to you about the open door of pride. 
Open doors and defeated lives. I want to talk to you about the open door of pride. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. I want to talk to you about the open door of pride. How we can open a door into a defeated life through pride. Now later on in this journey that we're taking through the Gospel of John, I'm going to spend a few weeks and do a character study on just Simon Peter. So I'm not going to get into too many details of his life, but I am going to suggest to you that Peter's open door was pride. Near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was with the disciples one day, and he said, look, one day I'm going to show up in Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the religious Jews. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise again. And when I die, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. In that moment, right after Jesus said that, Simon Peter, the Bible says, rebuked Jesus. I'm going to paraphrase, but I'm not even taking that much liberty. Basically, Simon Peter walked up to Jesus and said, dumb idea, you're not doing it. When you start to say stuff like that to Jesus, you might just have a pride problem. We see here in the Last Supper, Jesus says, I'm going to get arrested and you're going to scatter all of you. And Peter says, you must be talking about those losers, not me. Open doors and defeated lives. There's an open door called pride that will allow the enemy to bring us to a place of a defeated life. Interesting passage in Proverbs 16. Listen to it very carefully, because you may have heard it misquoted before. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You may have heard this very verse misquoted and, and, and someone shortened it and they said what? Pride, pride goes before a fall, but it doesn't. Pride, capital P, pride, goes before destruction. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. A haughty spirit, I want you to think of it this way. It's kind of like an old English you know, term, but, but basically what it means is it's just kind of this sense of, I got this. You know what I mean? Like I'm on fire right now. I look back at my life and I see lots of examples of a haughty spirit. I really do. I sometimes feel like my life is like one big pendulum between arrogance and insecurity. You ever feel that way? Like some days you're just on fire, right? You just feel like you can't. And then the next day it's just like, oh man, I'm terrible. A, a haughty spirit I would call lowercase p pride. Lowercase p pride. It's just that day when you think you're awesome. A haughty spirit, lowercase p pride comes before a fall. I want to suggest to you that that is God's mercy in action in your life. That's God's mercy. That lowercase p pride will lead you to a place where you fall. Because uppercase p pride, capital P pride, now that's a problem. L lowercase p pride is just kind of walking through your day going, I got this. Uh, capital P pride is like, I got this. Like basically making a definitive existential statement. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I don't need you, God. I've got this. I'm dismissing everyone from my life because I'm, I'm absolutely fine and self-sufficient on my own. That kind of pride comes before what? Destruction. In God's grace, when we develop a haughty spirit, 
When we have lowercase p pride, he will allow us to fall so that he keeps us from that capital P pride that will destroy us. So what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about three manifestations of pride in our life, three manifestations of pride. Open doors and defeated lives. Three ways that pride can open a door to a defeated life. I wanna talk today about determined sin, destructive words, and demonic invitation. Determined sin, destructive words, and demonic invitation. But before I get into that, I need to stop. All week long as I've been going through this sermon, working through this sermon, it just feels really, really heavy to me. Every once in a while when I send an email or a text to somebody, before I kind of write out the text or write out the email, you know, what I'll, you know what I'll say? I'll say this, I'll go, can you please, when you read this, can you imagine me sending this with a smile on my face? Do you know what I mean? Because sometimes in an email or, a t- have you ever gotten one, you think someone's really, really mad at you, but they're not at all? No, be, be, because as I go through this sermon, my concern is you're gonna miss God's tone. And what I want to suggest to you is that God is smiling on you right now. See, I think the tendency for me anyways is sometimes I'm like, well, what did God call me here for? To let me know that I'm defeated? I get it. No, that's not why he called you here. That's not why he called me here. He he called us here to pull us up to a place of victory. What am I doing here? Just to be reminded of my bondage? No, 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 to be set free. That's God's plan for you. See, let's go back to Peter. See, I love the Bible because it's full of real people. Peter biffed it. Like, I mean, he really, really biffed it. After saying, even if these bunch of wingnuts desert you, I never will, he betrayed Jesus, or he, he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said he would. He fell. He fell really hard. But then God put him back up on his feet, and he restored him. And the story of Peter is an incredible story of restoration. That's why we're here. God's doing a restoration work in your life, in every single life here. John chapter three, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world would be saved. So as I walk through these Please see God with a smile on his face. Not rubbing your nose in anything, but calling you up to something better. Is that fair? So number one, determined sin. Determined sin. What's determined sin? Determined is sin in my life where I look and I say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. You stepped into human history. You lived and you died and you rose again. Because you died, my sins are forgiven, my hurts can be healed. Because you rose again, I experienced real and eternal life. It's awesome. And Jesus, you have an incredible plan for every area of my life. That plan is a plan of freedom. That plan is a plan of victory. And I trust you completely except for this one area when I'm going to do it my way. Determined sin. Jesus said it this way in John chapter eight. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Add an ED, committed, committed sin, determined sin. I'm going to, there is this one area. I'm going to do it my way. Jesus, I trust you mostly, ish. I trust you, ish, but but not in this one area. That's determined sin. Say, Jesus, I know that you have a plan that I would be faithful in my marriage, but I'm determined to be faithless. 
Jesus, I know that you have a plan that my thoughts would be pure and righteous, but I'm pretty determined to serve poor. Jesus, you have a plan for me to be generous and kind, but I'm pretty determined I'm still gonna gossip, I'm still gonna slander, I'm still gonna be greedy, I'm still gonna be selfish, I'm still gonna mistreat my employees. That's how I'm going to roll. There's an area of your life that you said, Jesus, I trust you, but not here. I'm determined, I'm determined, I'm determined to do it my way. It's a really prideful thing to do. See, God gives grace to the humble. Humility says, Jesus, I trust you. Pride says, I pretty much trust you, but I'm gonna do it my way here, you know? Jesus, I know that you say that when I go to work, I should work at everything as if I was working for God and not people, make every day my masterpiece, but I'm gonna show up at work and give a half-hearted effort. I'm determined to do so. It's a pretty heartbreaking thing, determined sin. I'll give you a, free, a few reasons why. Number one, sometimes what we think when we're engaged in determined sin is that our sin is an absolute secret that nobody knows. And, and here's what's crazy, listen to this. Often nobody does know. Like you've, you've kept your sin, let's say, an absolute complete secret, nobody knows. But something strange begins to happen when you're engaged in secret determined sin. Remember how I said earlier that you can walk into a situation sometimes and you just kind of know that something's off? Ever happened to you? Okay. When you're engaged in determined sin. Now, I'm not talking about you. You slip up once in a while, you make a mistake. I don't mean that. I mean when you've made a decision that you're not going to trust God in this area. That's what I mean. When you're engaged in that, the people who are closest to you, you know the ones that really love you? Who wish you well? who pray for you, who really care about you. When they are around you, something, they, they don't know. No, no, they don't know. But something deep down inside of them is like, mm, something's off. And then deep down inside of you, you begin to realize that they know that something's off. And if you're engaged in determined sin right now, I don't have to convince you of this. Have you noticed? that you're putting more and more distance between yourself and the people who love you the most. Have you seen it? It's pretty heartbreaking. The people that love you, the people who care about you, the people who want the best for you, they don't know, but something inside of them knows that something's off and something deep inside of you knows that they know. The second thing that I find heartbreaking about secret determined sin is well, the whole concept of we think we've won when we kept it a secret. I want you to think about that because it's really deceptive. No, it really is. So what happens is we begin, so we're engaged in this sin, okay? And remember, what's God's plan for you? God's plan is freedom. God's plan is victory. Okay, does that make sense? And so we're engaged in this perfect, in, in, in this secret sin, right? And, and, and we think, we think, what's, what's victory for me? Keeping it secret, keeping it safe. You know what I mean? Lord of the Rings for you. Okay, there you go. Um, so so, so, so what, what, what do we think is, is victory? Keep it secret. And then we do. And we think we won. But we lost. We're walking around going, I did it. I'm in bondage. How cool is this? I'm losing. Amazing. So incredibly deceptive. The third heartbreaking aspect of secret determined sin 
is when we think it doesn't impact anybody else. You read through the Bible over and over and over again, you'll see examples of what's called generational blessing. Generational blessing. There's incredible power in grandparents, in great-grandparents, in parents to their children. And so you're engaged in this prideful activity, whatever it is, where you've said, I trust God-ish, you know, pretty much. And now you open the door to a defeated life, not just for you. you you've, you've moved your family outside of generational blessing. Do you get it? And you've seen it because you look around sometimes in your family and you go, what's going on? What's happening here? Why so much chaos? Why so much confusion? Why so much conflict? Why so much anxiety? Why so much jealousy? Why so much insecurity? What's going on? Oh, here's what's going on. You, you're bringing this sin home, whatever it is, and you think it's secret, and to a degree it is, but in the spiritual world, there are no secrets. You've opened the door to a defeated life, not just for yourself, but for the people you love the most. So here's what I want to do today. I want to remind you again. I will keep reminding you of this, by the way. God's smiling on you today. He loves you so much. His plan is restoration. He doesn't want to rub your nose in anything, but he wants to call you up to something better. Is that fair? So what I want to do today is I want to stop right now before I go any further, and I want to take a moment of reflection. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your head. So just in this moment of reflection, it's just you and God. Is there an area where you know that God has a plan for you, but you're going your own way? Your next step today, because he loves you so much, because he's smiling on you right now, your next step is just something called repentance. Repentance is when you change your mind and ask God to change your heart. So I'm gonna pray for us right now. You can just join me silently as I pray out loud. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love me. There's nothing that I've ever done that has made you love me less. There's nothing that I could ever do that would make you love me more. I give you this area, Jesus. I realize that your plan is one thing, but I've been doing something else. So today, right now, Jesus, I repent. I repent. I change my mind. I change my mind. I get it. Your plan for me is freedom. Your plan for me is life. Your plan for me is victory. I want that. I want that. So I change my mind. I trust you in every area. And I ask that you would change my heart. That more and more that I would lean in towards freedom. That I would lean in towards victory. That I would lean in towards the life that you have for me. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 So the first one is this. Determine sin. Second, destructive words. Destructive words. You were created in the image of a God who spoke the universe into existence. Amazing. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be sun and moon and stars. And there they were. And God said that there be oceans and dry land and vegetation and fish in the sea and birds in the air and animals on the land. And there they were. God said, God said, God said. And then God said, let's create people. Men and women, he created us in his image. 
you were created in the image of a God who spoke the universe into existence. Your words are so incredibly powerful. What a prideful thing it would be to misuse that gift. What a prideful thing it would be to look at somebody who God loves infinitely more than you could ever imagine and think that you could speak words of destruction and defeat over them. What a prideful thing. Proverbs 18, 21, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. Got a pet peeve about church people. Surprise, surprise, Mike. I got a pet peeve and it's about cursing. Talk about cursing, don't curse, you know, don't curse. Well, what's cursing? Barnyard language, the F word even, don't do it. It's not cursing. You don't need a PhD in grammar to understand cursing. It's nothing to do with barnyard language. It has nothing to do with the F word. Cursing is when you speak words of fatalism, defeat, and destruction over another human being. That's what a curse means. It makes me real sad too, you know, because there's so many church people throughout history, the way my wife would put it, I'll sanitize it a little bit, she'll say, they wouldn't say shaving cream if their mouth was full of it. Those kind of people, you know what I mean? They wouldn't say shaving cream if their mouth was full of it. And Finally, okay, you get it, all right? <laughs> I'm giving everything I have up here, you know? Um, and yet, and yet they will go home and they will look at their spouse, they will look at their kids and say, I hate you. You're a loser. I wish you were never born. You're never going to amount to anything. That's cursing. I will go as far as to say this I think the world would be a little bit of a better place. If some of those church people that wouldn't say shaving cream if their mouth was full of it would go home today and say, you know what? I just thought of something, son. You're a mother bleeping conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who gives you bleeping strength. God has a plan for you. Plans to give you a hope and a bleeping future. You're gonna kick some bleep in your life. I know that for sure. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, let's all start swearing like lumberjacks, you know? <laughs> Welcome to Southside Church. <laughs> we could have t-shirts made, you know? I see Dave Poole is already dreaming up a t-shirt as I speak. <laughs> I just see it. But I'm, I'm, you get what I'm saying, though? You, you, want, you want proof? You want proof that we stand in the midst of a great spiritual battle? Why is it that you can remember words of destruction that were spoken over you decades ago, but you can't remember a compliment from yesterday? What's going on? Studies show just this year that it's not even close. Like we have an exponentially better ability to remember those words of destruction than we do the words of life. Remember, God is smiling on you. His plan is, 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 is not to rub your nose in anything. It's to call you up to something else. So I'm going to stop. 
We're gonna take a moment of reflection again. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just wanna ask you how the words you've been speaking have been. Speaking words of life. Speaking words of life. If you can think back, and honestly, I think we all can, if you can think back at words that you've spoken to somebody that were not uplifting, that were not words of life, that you need to make an apology for, can you make a commitment right now that you will make that apology? One thing just to be a little bit careful of, just make sure the, the apology is helpful. Okay, like the last few years I've had a couple people come up to me and say, hey, Mike, I just want to tell you, I was gossiping about you for years, telling everybody that you were stupid and ugly, and they all agreed with me. And I'm like, wow, great, thank you so much. Sorry about that. What I mean is if they know it, they know what you spoke, and your next step is to apologize. And then what you pray for is you pray for a reversal. So I wanna do that with us right now, let's pray. So Jesus, I come before you and I confess that there's been times that I've spoke to people who you love so much in a way that doesn't reflect your love for them or the love that I should have for them. I pray that you would forgive me. And more than that, Jesus, I, I pray for a reversal. I know that you've given me the ability to speak life, to speak hope, to speak strength. With your help, Jesus, with your help, may that be the words that come out of my mouth. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So number one, determined sin. Number two, destructive words. Number three, demonic invitation. went on a trip to Europe when I was in grade 12 with a bunch of my classmates. Went to Europe for a couple weeks. It's a bit of a bigger high school, so it was weird. Like a lot of the people that went on the trip, I didn't necessarily know them before the trip, okay? But I got to know them. We became really good friends during those two weeks, except for one guy. I could tell about five minutes, in, I'm gonna call him Fred for the purpose of this story, okay? Fred, I could tell about five minutes into the trip that Fred did not like me, and I gotta be honest, I didn't like Fred either. I can tell you lots of stories about Fred. In fact, maybe I will over the next several months. I'll tell you some stories about Fred. One particular story comes to mind for today's sermon. I was walking down the hallway in our hotel in Switzerland. Feels kind of cool to say that, actually. I've never been back. Okay, so anyways, I'm walking down the hallway, and I notice that there's a, a room with an open door, and a whole bunch of my classmates are gathered in that room. And I don't know whose room it is, so I head in. It turns out it's Fred's room. Fred's on the bed with a Ouija board. Okay, so Fred got a hold of a Ouija board. Now, I don't know whether Fred brought it from Canada or whether he bought one in Switzerland. I'm not sure. I see the Ouija board, and I just turned around and I walked out. Now, keep in mind, I was years away from committing my life to Jesus. Okay, but I knew enough that I didn't want any part of that. I'm on my way out and Fred says, ooh, Mike doesn't believe in Ouija boards. And I stopped and I said, here's the weird thing, Fred. I do, I do believe in them. And I know this, my life is messed up enough. I don't need to be adding evil spirits to what I already got going on. And I walked out and I turned around in the hallway and noticed everybody else that was in the room, not surprisingly, also got up and walked out. Here's what I mean about demonic invitation. I'm not sure you've ever heard it explained this way before. So I'll make sure I lean in and I'm really clear, okay? The Bible says there's one mediator between God and people, and that mediator is Jesus, okay? So in week one of this series, I told you, you will win your war. With God, you will win your war. H how do you walk with God? You walk with Jesus. He sends his Holy Spirit, and you are with him. 
What I want to suggest to you is that if you delve into the spiritual world without Jesus, you are making a grave mistake. You are not equipped for that fight. You're not. Alone, you are not. It's like jumping into 40 feet of water and fighting a shark. It's not going to go well. It's not your environment right now. It's just not. So if you're reading books, if you're watching shows, if you're involved in activities where you're stepping into the spiritual world without Jesus, excluding Jesus from your spiritual experience, what you're doing, literally, what you're doing, literally, you're inviting trouble. Open doors and defeated lives. It's a prideful thing to do, thinking that we can step into that realm, into the spiritual realm, through our own strength. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to do it on our own. I could give you lots of examples of this, but there's one that I kind of felt I was supposed to mention today. I've been hearing quite a bit lately of people saying things like this. I called on an angel, and an angel showed up. I prayed to an angel, and an angel manifested itself to me. Okay, I want to tell you something, and I'm not meaning to be sarcastic or mean. Please hear me. Angels don't take orders from you. No, no. Listen, this is really, really important. Like, they don't. Further, angels do not accept invitations from you. They do not. They have one Lord and one God, and that is not you. So, I would just say this to you. If you are praying for the manifestation of an angel, and something shows up, and if you tell me it did, I actually believe you. I will tell you, however, that's not an angel. So what I mean is, if you step into the realm of spiritual things, thinking you're strong enough to handle it without Jesus, you're mistaken. You're inviting defeat. So what I want to do, one more time, I want to remind you, God's smiling on you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. His, call, his, his, his purpose for today isn't to look back at tomorrow. His purpose for today is to take hold of today. See victory and freedom today. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. Take a moment of reflection. So God, we come before you. And for any of us who have been stepping into that spiritual realm, first of all, without your help, we say, Jesus, we didn't know. We didn't know. And so we just want to renounce it. Whatever doors have been opened in my life, Jesus, I want to renounce it. I pray that through your strength, in Jesus' good and powerful name, you would close those doors. I pray if I've opened any doors into my family's life, that those doors, too, in Jesus' name, would be closed. I trust you, Jesus. I pray that you would be with me every single step of the way. Today, tomorrow, and forever. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Open doors and defeated lives. So next week, we're going to talk about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. See how many people I can tick off next week. And then two weeks from today, <laughs> two weeks from today, we'll talk about doors that you didn't open. It's a big deal. Doors that you didn't open, but doors that were opened by others over your life. But today, we're talking about pride. And I wanted to end with something called communion. At Southside, we practice two different sacraments. Both of them were commanded by Jesus. The first is baptism. Dave talked about it earlier. Baptism is such a humble thing to do, right? 
We go into the, the tank of baptism and we say, Jesus, without you, I was dead to my sins. But with you, I'm alive, fully, completely, totally, eternally alive. It's such a humble thing to do. And I wanna just reiterate a little bit what Dave said. If you haven't been baptized, I would really highly recommend it. If you're watching this online, text the keyword dunk to 604-670-3040. You can do the same thing if you're in person. I was 23 years old when I got baptized. I'd been following Jesus for a couple years. Corinne and I were married, but I couldn't figure out why I was being defeated. I was being defeated by anger and insecurity over and over and over again. I remember sitting in church one day and the pastor said, hey, we got a baptism coming up and it hit me. Sands. You don't need to get baptized to be saved. Not at all. But once you've committed your life to Jesus, it's your next step and it's such a profound step of humility. God gives grace to the humble. The second sacrament that we practice here at Southside is called communion. Communion. That we would gather regularly and remember what Jesus did for us. We look back and we remember that Jesus died on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, so that our hurts can be healed. And when we look back at that, we remember too that he rose again to give me real and eternal life. And so I look back with this profound sense of gratitude. And yet the Bible also says that when we take communion, we also need to look ahead. So we look back with profound gratitude, but we look ahead and we remember he's coming again. He's coming back. And when he does, he's going to make all things new. New heaven, new earth, new body, new everything. Beauty beyond our ability to imagine adventure and joy and happiness and love. He's coming again. And so where do we stand? We stand right in the middle. So we got this profound sense of gratitude for what he did and this profound sense of anticipation for what he is going to do. And so we stand here right in the middle. And in the middle, in light of what he did, in light of what he's going to do, we got this humble faith. This humble faith. That's what communion is about. And so the band's going to play. And we're going to have the ushers pass out these little cups. I had to practice about a hundred times to figure out how to use this thing. Okay. But we remember that at the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's Supper, Jesus gathered his disciples in and he said, this is my body broken for you. And we get this profound sense of gratitude. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And we got this profound sense of gratitude. And then we also remember that because he rose again and because he's coming again, we got this profound sense of anticipation over all of it. And so when the ushers hand it out, you're going to peel off this top and there's a little wafer there for you to remember what Jesus said. This is my body broken for you. And you drink the cup and remember he said, this is my blood poured out for you. So who takes communion? Those who have committed their life to Jesus take communion. So I want to give you that opportunity. And by the way, I just want to say one more thing. If you're not in a place yet, you're just kind of, you got some questions about the whole Jesus thing and you're not sure yet, absolutely no judgment. Just let the, let the bucket of, uh, of, of cups just go by and don't feel one sense of judgment. We're just so stoked that you're here. But before I kind of turn it over to the band, I'm gonna give you the chance today that Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose again for you. And now the next step is yours to accept that, to accept that so you can take communion for the first time today, 
remembering what he did for you, this grateful, profound gratitude, and remember what he's going to do, this profound anticipation, and allow it to fuel your humble faith. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads one more time today. So it's the day of the day you realize, man, when you look back at your life, you see a lot of defeat. You see some confusion, you see some brokenness, and today, as I've been speaking, maybe you realize that Jesus has something better for you. He's calling you up, he's smiling on you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He rose again for you. Have you accepted it? That's your next step. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if today is the day that you wanna accept that gift from him, just raise your hand, because I wanna pray for you right now. Nice and high, if you don't mind, amazing. Incredible. If your hand is up, you can put it down right now. And for those of you who raised your hand, I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That you love me so much that you came and you died. So today, Jesus, I ask you to be my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins and begin to heal my hurts. And thank you, Jesus, that you rose again. I wanna live for you. I wanna live with you today, tomorrow, and forever. So grateful in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate. You got it? They're passing things out. They're tricky. Took me three or four times. Hopefully you get it first time. And we're gonna take communion. So as the band is playing, you can just take the wafer and remember those words of Jesus. My body was broken for you. And then take the cup and remember he said, my blood was poured out for you. Take it away, band. So like Pastor Mike said, you guys can take communion as soon as you have the wafer and the juice. And then after that, why don't you stand and join us as we sing. carried a burden a too long on my own I wasn't created very long I hear your invitation let it all go I see you now, I'm laying it down, I know that I need you, I run to the Father, fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh. You saw my condition, had a plan from the start. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. 
service with all of you this morning and I just want to say if you need prayer today we have a prayer team on this side and on that side and they would love to pray with you and help you take next steps today all right you guys have a great Sunday take care we'll see you again next week thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.